We're talking about finding our corporate identity. And we're going to use some illustrations of some things that God has taught me. Uh, as Pastor said, there's only one of you. Even if you had a twin brother or a twin sister or if you were a triplet, you might look a lot like your brother or your sister, but there's still two of you. And there'll never be a repeat. There's people who look similar. We call them doppelgangers, you know, who's, who's the one that looks like us. But everyone is unique. And God knows that. And he designed it that way because he wants a family. You know, when Abel, when, when Cain was born, he was a firstborn. But he didn't really know who he was. He didn't appreciate who he was. He was jealous of his second brother. But he didn't realize that didn't stop him from being the firstborn. It just made his, his world become bigger because by himself, he was solitary with his brother, he was a family. And so God is making us a family. Every community connection, this church is a family. So God determines who you are. Now the enemy uses the environment of your world to tempt you to trade for something less than who you are. A great example is, I wanna show you in a moment, but who you are will always bring life to your world. But who you are not will always bring dysfunction to your world. When you discover who you are, you have an authority. Now, authority is greatly misunderstood because authority has nothing to do with control or manipulation. It means I've been given too much of something. Therefore, I have to use it to give life to my world. You have authority to be you. But when you become someone you're not, when you don't like who you are, then you become a taker. You become, I'm not satisfied, I've got, to, I've got to become this, I'm not this. But when you find who you are, it gives life to your world. Yeah. I, I, think, you know, I think I have a, a grace to be a grandpa. Little children all over the world recognize me as a grandpa. I have a, <laughs> I have a grace in, in being that. Maybe you have that too. In Acts chapter 17, Paul said this, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. He doesn't made, dwell in this temple. He dwells in this temple. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So he gives life to you to be you. He gives breath, makes you an expression of him. And then he partners with you to give you all the things that you need to be you, to fulfill your purpose. Now, the enemy, he comes from the outside, uh, outside sources in an attempt to make you trade your true identity for a lie. We have a great example of this in the story of uh, the king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28, which... I believe is referring to the star of the morning, which the Latin Vulgate calls Lucifer. The word Lucifer is not in the scripture. It's actually star of the morning, but the Latin translation put Lucifer in there. And I think it's an accurate use because he was a refractor or reflector of light. And if you read Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, one is describing the king of Babylon. The other is describing the king of Tyre. But their description is really about this created star of the morning who was awesome, but he didn't like himself. We know him as the devil or Satan. Now, Satan is a, a, a false accuser, which means he's a liar. Now, God didn't create him as a false accuser. It says in Ezekiel 28, by the abundance of your trading you became filled with violence within. In other words, you didn't like who you are, so you traded for a lie. It says that he was perfect in his beauty. He was full of wisdom. He was made of stones and pipes and timbrels. He didn't hold stones or hold pipes. He was. He reflected light. He magnified the sound of God. He held the frequency or the rhythm of God. And his role was simply to amplify, I believe, God the word, God the expression. Just like uh, 
other archangels manifest, Gabriel manifests, God the Holy Spirit, the messenger. Michael manifests, God the warrior, the protector. But this star of the morning, he manifested the expression of God, but he didn't like that. It says he lifted his heart and he saw the stars of God. Now, I believe that what he saw was you. Stars are lights. They're not reflections of light. And all of creation speaks of the Godhead. So all those little lights are sons and daughters of light. Our father is light and we are children of light. He gives good and perfect gifts. And the good and perfect gift that he really gives is you. You make a wonderful you and a terrible someone else. And when you can remain true to who you are, then you can come together and fulfill a purpose that's greater than just by yourself. When my oldest granddaughter was, uh, she must have been about four years old, and she was spending the night at the house, and, and uh, I was, she was bunking over in the middle of the night. She wakes me up, and she says, she says Gopa, that's what she calls me, Gopa, what's that on the ceiling? And I said, well, I think that's a, you're seeing the smoke detector. And she said, well, it looks like a star. I said, yeah, it does look a little like a star, doesn't it? She said, you know, you can find your way by the stars. I said, really? Yeah, they make animal shapes. And you can find your way by looking at the stars. I said, oh, you've seen that? She said, no. Curious George, that was, he, he taught us about that. So the little cartoon monkey knows <laughs> that lights in the sky make shapes that you can find your way by. You know, when we find our proper place together, we make shapes that people can find their way to God by. But if we don't have our proper place, people get lost. They can't find their way home. They can't find their way home. So let's remember, even a little cartoon monkey is smart enough to know that if we all find our proper place, we will create lights in the night because we rule in the night. He's the, he's the day, but we have the light to live in the night, but not be people of the night. We're people of day. So I believe that this fallen star of the morning, Satan, he, he traded, he became profane. He became perverted. God didn't create him that way. He became that. And therefore, he became the father of lies. And and his attempt is to get you, his number one goal is to get you to not like who you are, to be insecure in who you are and want to be somebody else. And then you'll trade the beauty of who you are for something that can't bring life. Jesus said, fulfilling the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Well, what is that? You traded your riches for something that really is poverty. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You traded your whole heart for a broken one. You trade, we could go through the thing. You traded your beauty for ashes. You traded your joy for mourning. You traded your praise for heaviness. And Jesus said, I've come to give that back to you. I've come to give back to you who you really are so that you can be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And then purpose will be fulfilled. So, now, I, you are part of the family tree. So this picture right here, if you look at the tree closest to you with the big shadow, it's a short little tree. But it is loaded with blossoms there. And this is my backyard. That tree, I planted it in the year 2000. God told me, I want you to plant a tree and this tree is going to be a prophetic testimony to my church. He said, I wanted to have six grafted branches on it that are different kinds of apples. So there's one trunk, only one tree, but each branch is a different kind of apple. Now God said, I want you to plant that kind of tree because that's the kind of church I want. Uh, it's only one tree, but there's diversity of fruit. No one is the same. And, and six is, the, is, is a prophetic symbol of man, like man was created on the sixth day. In scripture, when you see, and on the sixth day, pay attention, it has something to do with man. 
Okay, so I planted this tree, and this tree is a, is a pretty nice tree. Go to the next slide. Each of you are a unique testimony in the tree. Now look at all the blossoms on that tree. Now in the blossom state, they all look the same, don't they? It just looks like apple blossoms everywhere. Now go to the next slide, and you see that the next slide, look, we've got red apples, purple apples, green apples. On the very bottom, they're kind of greenish. If you went around the other side, you'd see yellow apples. This tree is a little tree, but it's loaded with hundreds of apples every year. Okay? Now, that tree, it kind of bothered me that it was as short as it was. But um, I got a prophetic word a few years ago from a student that I was training. I said, what do you see? And it was bothering me that my tree was short. I thought, well, the church should be bigger than this. It's a short tree. But it was loaded with apples. And this student that I was training said, I see a picture. I see a tree, like an apple tree. But there's all kinds of different kinds of apples on this tree. He didn't know anything about this tree. And he said, and it's really short. I thought, oh, I better listen. What's God saying? And he says, you're the kind of tree that even little children can reach the fruit. And I thought, that's God's church. So maybe you work in the nursery or you work with the children's ministry. You know what? God's family tree is a tree that there's no such thing as junior Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, God is the same size for older people and younger people. And we have to have people who have the ability to reach all sizes. And, and so some of you are uniquely made by God to be able to reach little children. Some of you are able to reach older people. So you have abilities that are only God given to you. And so it's important that we find that out. Now, in discovering our individual identity, and our corporate identity. I believe there are three words that describe this well. One is calling. I would, I'll give a, uh, the identity, I believe, matches calling. So what is my calling? Or what is my identity? And then what is my inheritance is a word the scripture uses. So I'm going to substitute with testimony. What's my testimony? What's my identity? And what's my testimony? And then power is another thing. And power really has to do with purpose. What can I do? What can I accomplish? How do I change the world? Now, if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is praying a powerful prayer for the church of Ephesus. And he's praying that the eyes of their hearts will be opened so that they... Well, no, I'm praying that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. So my calling is a little tiny piece in his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance or his testimony? In, in America, I, I don't know if South Africa is the same, but in America, we think that inheritances are something that your parents leave to you so that you can have a big splurge of some kind after they die. <laughs> I don't know if they do that in South Africa, but God never views inheritances as something you receive to spend. Whatever your parents create is passed on to you so that you can expand it for the next generation. Because all inheritances from God are meant to change the world. They're meant to bring life to the world. So God's inheritance is meant to increase in each generation and bring life to the world. That's God's testimony. Well, we're all a little tiny piece in that testimony. Uh, I was um, ministering in... America, there's a state called Wisconsin. It's right in the middle, way north. It's so cold, I think people's words freeze in the winter, so that's why sometimes I talk a little fast because you gotta get it out before it falls. I'm, I'm kidding. But, but Wisconsin, and uh, uh, where, did I, uh, where was I going with that? I distracted myself. 
That was not good. <laughs> well, we'll go on and on. It'll come to me. <laughs> so, what are the riches of his... In, in, oh, Wisconsin. Okay, so I was ministering in Wisconsin, and I was praying for this lady who was in her 60s, and God really touched her, and she was just really ministered to powerfully by the presence of Jesus. And afterwards, she comes to me, and she says to me, I need to tell you a story. She says, when I was eight years old, your grandmother, Elma, taught my Sunday school. And she used to have these little red chairs, and she would say, if you would like to ask Jesus into your heart, you can sit in this little red chair. And she says, I want you to know that I sat in your grandmother's little red chair when I was eight. Now, I didn't even know my grandma knew Jesus. I, I, I didn't know her that she died before I came to Christ. And I didn't know that story. But here, almost you know, 60 years later, 50 some years later, I'm ministering to this wonderful lady that has known Jesus all her life because somebody was in the right place in the family of God to reach that lady at that time. So everybody is very important. So the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, that's in us. Saints is just sanctified, set apart ones. It's not holy ones in heaven that have arrived there. It's set apart ones like us. It says, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And I believe Paul was even referring to his age of that day Realizing that it would also be not just in the world after this life, but in every age to come. Including right now in South Africa, here. And he put all things under his feet. He gave him to be the head over all things, which, all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We are part of the body of Christ. Wow. I'm not the body of Ted. I'm, the, I'm part of the body of Christ. 50 years ago, I lost my life so that I could save it. I laid my life down so that I could find it. Now, what was I really losing? I was losing my false identity so that I could find my true identity. My true identity is a member of the body of Christ. That's not just a, a member of a, I'm a good standing member of the congregation. Well, that's good. But his temple is not built with hands. You're a member of the body of Christ. I think the more we can get a revelation of that, the more we will live seven days a week, 24 hours a day, in an intimate relationship with a father who loves us. And we will be who we are anywhere. Not just on Sunday or Wednesday, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So it's important that we know who we are. That's our, our part in the calling of Christ, our part in the inheritance or the testimony of Christ, our part in the, in the uh, power of Christ. Uh, I think I shared on... Maybe it was here or somewhere else. <laughs> did I share about Dorcas or Tabitha here? I don't think I did it here. No. So in the village of Joppa, there was a lady. Her name was, was uh, Tabitha. And she was also known as Dorcas. She was so important. She was known by the Greeks and the Jews. She had two names, Dorcas and Tabitha. And what she did is she made expensive clothing for widows. Now, I don't believe that she went down to the store and she bought really expensive clothing. No, that would be too cheap. I believe that she looked and she saw that Anna's husband, Simeon, passed away. 
And she thought, oh, oh, Anna, poor Anna. What does Anna like? Oh, I remember. Anna's favorite color is yellow. That's right. Anna's favorite color is yellow. Oh, I remember. She was so moved by that shawl. I'm going to make her a shawl. So she took her most precious gift, time and love, and she made it a one and only one-of-a-kind yellow scarf for Sarah. And then one day when it was all finished, she came to Sarah, who Sarah was feeling pretty lonely because her husband had passed away, her whole world had changed. Now she was no longer in the environment that she had been in for so many years. And now she was feeling isolated, lonely. Does anyone really care? Does God really know me? And here comes Dorcas, Tabitha. She hands her this one-of-a-kind clothing and says, I've been thinking about you, and I made it. And everything about that piece of clothing says, I love you, Sarah. I love you, Sarah. And she, in that moment, knows that God really cares for her. Okay, one day, Dorcas, Tabitha, she dies. Maybe in heaven, Jesus is thinking, oh, Dorcas is coming. Tabitha's here. Oh, I've been waiting for this dance. I can't believe she's arriving. This is so awesome. And then, oh, he remembers, wait a minute. The widows in Joppa, I love them. No one tells them how much they're loved like Tabitha, Dorcas does. No one, no preacher can reach them like she does. And so maybe he stirs the, a, the, a couple of angels to be sent down. The Holy Spirit stirs a couple of guys to go to the neighboring village where Peter is preaching. And there's something more important than Peter's itinerary at the moment. Peter's preaching, you know, oh, Peter's preaching some good sermons, you know, even his shadow is healing people. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes people got healed from Peter's shadow. And so I'm sure Peter's got a schedule. And these men come and say, there's a lady in Joppa, Dorcas, Tabitha, she's died. Come, come. And the Holy Spirit quickens Peter to know, oh, there's someone more important than you, Peter, right now. So you need to get over to the village of Joppa. And so Peter goes to the village of Joppa and raises the special gift, Tabitha, from the dead. So that the widows in Joppa will know how much God cares. Your life is that significant. You, you reach somebody that no one else can. Uh, I like bananas. I'm not particularly hugely fond of mangoes. Uh, I'll eat mangoes, but bananas are my preference. And if you are a man with a plantation with 500 mango trees, 1,000 mango trees, and there's a lady down the street with one banana tree, the one that's going to really be important to me is the lady with the banana tree. God doesn't measure it by what kind of trees someone else has or how many trees you have. He, he measures you by your ability to reach someone that no one else can. And by the way, the value of every human being is a one and only. It's not one in in. Eight billion. It's one and only. Because the price that was paid was the only begotten Son of God. That's the value that God has for every human. So when we're talking about being part of the family tree and, and being part of this corporate purpose, finding our place, we are hugely important to discover who we are for the sake of us. So everything in life has a corporate purpose. You've been born for your friends for your spouse, for your family, your connection in the body of Christ, your purpose in life. Did you know that you have even been born for your enemies? I have my enemies. You have your enemies. And, you know, I'll keep my own. <laughs> but I was born to be life to my enemies. I told you Sunday, if I was going to be an enemy, I'd want to be my son's enemy. Because I've watched him as a pastor, how he treats his enemies. <laughs> See, I don't want, if I know who I am, then an enemy can't change who I am. If I'm forgiveness, 
Unforgiveness can't change me. If unforgiveness can change me, then I'm not forgiveness. It's easy to say I'm forgiveness when there's nobody that you have to forgive. <laughs> but when you come face to face with unforgiveness and it doesn't change you, then you know you've found your identity. I think our identities grow in our relationship with God. Now, our individuality in this, there's some words I'm going to give you. As an individual, we need to know the word activation, facilitation, and release. So to be activated would be to become alive. Does that translate okay? Do you understand? If I'm activated, I'm not asleep. If I'm activated, I'm alive. If I'm active. I'm awake. I'm, I'm me. He gives life. Here I am. To be activated would be say, hi, here I am. Here I am. To be facilitated is not just to say, here I am, but to be an expression now. I'm an expression of me. He gives what? Breath. So I'm activated, I'm facilitated, I'm being me. If he is the notes, I'm the song. If he's the words, I'm the poem. Uh, if he's uh, uh, the, the story, I'm the book. If he's the notes, I'm the music. So I'm an expression of him. You're an expression of him. So I have to be activated, facilitated, and then released. To be released means I accept my responsibility to freely come alongside of him in his purpose. The body of Christ is what? It's the fullness of him who fills all in all. It isn't him and then we're the dormant body. No, we're in partnership with him. Uh, the Old Testimony, the Old Covenant called those things Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. God is my life, Passover. I'm an expression of him in word and spirit, Pentecost. And we live together, Tabernacles. So every one of us in the family have a responsibility to have an intimate relationship with God that makes us active, facilitated, and released. Corporately, we accept our role now to be activators, to help others, not just to be alive, but to help others be alive. There's no competition in the family tree of life. There's no competition in the body of Christ. There's comparable parts that make other parts dance. My wife, we've been married 46 years, and she does not need a husband. She needs her husband. So I have to be Bonnie Hansen's husband. So I have to find that from God. It's a mystery. Guys, have you figured that out yet? It's a mystery. You know, like when your wife is telling you stuff, she's not saying, she's, the primary thing is she doesn't want you to fix it. That's not the primary thing. She wants you to listen. That's the primary thing. Okay, which is something the male ear cannot do without supernatural intervention to the male heart. Okay, now, ladies, I'm going to help you also, though. You understand that when your, your man is talking to you, he attaches to dirt. He accomplishes things. He was made from the dust. You were made from the rib, but he's got to do some stuff. So be gracious to him. He's, he's, he's got he's to have some dirt. He's got he's, he's to accomplish some things, which is impossible for you ladies to understand. That's why you need to be connected to God your Father to help you understand a creation that attaches to dirt. He hunts for goodness sakes. <laughs> so the, the mystery of it is this we cannot be who we are without him <laughs> and even, even being a husband I'm not good at that by myself I'm good at it with him connecting to me and in the body of Christ when we find our place in our various roles of doing ministry which is simply serving bringing life doing whatever's necessary to to reach the world of darkness with the light of Christ, 
to, to reach people in, in loneliness and want with the power of love, to reach areas of sickness with the grace of healing. That's the body of Christ. And each of us has a place in that. So we are activating, facilitating, and releasing because we live being activated, facilitated, and released. Now, you are part of a body. You are part of a being. Hmm. A body is not a structure. Paul talked to the... When, when Paul wrote to um, his letters, he's writing to Gentiles. So he's always talking about the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Peter's talking to Jews. You know what he's talking about? Oh, a living temple. Spiritual temple. Living stones. The Jews understood Torah temple, but they understood a structure, Torah temple. And Jesus came to destroy the structure, Torah temple, and give them a living testimony of grace, truth temple. Gentiles didn't have that information. They lived in a body and they were given a human conscience that says there is a God. He's good. You need him. And they would harden their conscience to avoid that truth. But inside every Gentile, there was a truth that there is a God. And they observed and said, oh, he gives us rain. He gives us sunshine. He gives us good things. But then they also lived in an imperfect world. Bad things happened. So they started to think he must be good. But in case he's bad, let's, let's kill something quick before he kills us. That's how people who didn't know God thought. Okay, people who knew God kind of thought that way too in their sacrifice system. They didn't understand the concept of it. Okay, but so when Paul is talking about the body of Christ, he's primarily talking to people like me, who was Norwegian, who had no understanding of Torah Temple Society, but I lived in my own body. And he's saying to be a part of the family of God is like... <coughs> The body. He lives in you, in your body. And so it's a being. It's not a place. So your doing is connected to your being. Your being is not connected to your doing. Okay, I used to be a worship leader. I led worship. Uh, well, we use a couple examples. Um, I used to be a worship leader. I led worship for 15 years, was a worship director. And then I became a pastor and I raised up a lot of worship leaders. And then I, I, as I transitioned, I wasn't leading worship anymore. Now, if I got my identity out of leading worship, it means I'm getting my identity out of something I'm doing. When worship really gets its identity out of me, what I do gets its identity out of me when I know who I am. Uh, when I was in, in uh, high school, in, in the upper grades, before you graduate to go to college, you know, I guess you call it high school here. I, is that what you call it? Yeah. So when I was in high school, I, I was given an art scholarship because I was really good in art. Now, I wasn't the greatest artist, but here's why I got a scholarship. We were out painting the landscapes. We, our assignment was to sit by the river and the cliffs and paint the picture. And so everybody's painting the picture of the mountains and the river. And I'm painting a picture of the M&M wrapper in front of me with the ants on it. Now, everybody's painting the obvious. And I'm painting a whole community that nobody's looking at simply because they think it lives on a pile of trash. So I was seeing something no one else could, was seeing. Okay, I was in a rock band. We were called Raw Boot. Catchy title, isn't it? Raw Boot. You probably heard of us. So, before I knew Jesus. Before I knew Jesus. Raw Boot. Okay, and we used to play various places. Not places I would go now, but places I went then. And I was not the lead singer. I was a backup singer and a backup guitar player, 
But every time the lead singer, lead guitar player got tired and I stepped up to sing, everybody got on the dance floor and danced. Why? He was a wonderful musician. I'm really good at seeing what others don't see. And I see how to activate those people and get them on the floor. <laughs> okay. So now I don't, I, I haven't painted pictures. I haven't drawn pictures in my high school. Pictures were everywhere that I had done. I haven't done that forever, but you know what? I still do the same thing because painting is not who I am. My paintings took an expression of who I am. Many years ago, I was praying. I, I said to my wife, I need to know who I am. You need to know who you are. We're pastors. <laughs> so I'm going to go fasting and praying for the week up in the mountains, because that's often what I would do. And I said, and you pray while I'm gone. Ask God what your purpose is. She says, no, I'm good. And I said, no, honey, this is really important. This is really important. I'm going to go fast and pray and ask God, you pray also. Okay, and I'll come back. She's okay. So, so I go up to the mountain and I'm thinking I'm going to be here five days, you know, just not eating any food. And after five days, maybe God will give me a hint about who I am. So I unpack my gear and I start walking in the forest and I'm walking through the trees. About 10 minutes, I say, God, who am I? What am I? I think I said, what am I back then? And he said, well, you expose false walls and activate the pursuit of truth. What? He said, well, you, you always, remember that warehouse job that you had where you did inventory on items in the warehouse? That kills you. You hated that job because immediately you thought parts are here, parts are here, parts are there. You know, if we take all those parts and put them here, we won't be wasting man hours looking for the parts. See, you saw a false wall. You saw... They thought it had to be this way and you could organize it, but that wasn't the job. So you had to shut your mouth and just take inventory. He said, so, and he showed me all through my life, how I was always seen things other people don't see. And then I helped them realize, wait a minute, that's not really the limitation. That's not really real. You can go there. I still do that. Okay. And then God says, he said, so you expose false walls and activate the pursuit of truth. People think there's a wall there, but it's not. And then you help nudge them to go and step through that place. And he says, but you're rough water. Now your wife, she's like the keel of a ship. The under part of the ship that keeps the ship from flipping over. She, he says, she'll never be the forefront leading anything, but she'll undergird everything. She's deep water. Rough water or smooth, she's always the same. And she'll keep you upright and on course. And sure enough, in the ministry, she always keeps things upright and on course. And, and, but I stir things up. He said, son, you're rough water. She's deep. Okay. So when rough water and deep are together, we can do amazing things. <laughs> now, when I came home after that five days, I said, honey, did you pray? She said, I prayed for you, yes. And, and I said, well, uh, did God tell you your purpose? He, she said, no, but he told me yours. And I said, well, what did he say? Well, he said that you see things other people don't see, and then you help them go and find that. Same as you expose false walls and activate the pursuit of the truth. And, and I said, well, he, he told me I was expose false walls and activate the pursuit of truth. She said, yeah, that's right. And, and I said, he told me that you're a keel, like the keel of a ship. You run deep, rough or smooth, you're always the same. You'll never lead anything, but you undergird everything. And she said, oh, that's good. I like that. Yeah, that's true. See, she didn't need to be told why. She was already secure in being that. <laughs> now, I shared that story simply to say this. Every one of us has unique characteristics that complement one another. But those characteristics don't come because of what we do. They come because of who we are. And then we find things that match who we are in our doing. Uh, so when, uh, well, well, we'll get to it. Okay. So we have to find our being, not our doing. Don't get your, do not get your identity out of what you do 
or you will be offended when seasons change. I was the senior pastor of our church for 20 years. For 12 years now, my son has been the senior pastor. I'm still a member of the church, which means I don't think like a senior pastor anymore. Now, I could be tempted to think like a senior pastor. But when I'm tempted to think like the senior pastor, I remember he's my pastor. Now, I'm his spiritual father. There's a different dynamic. But seasons change. If you're stuck in what you did in one season, then what you were doing defines who you are. When, when Adam was made, God planted the garden. And he told Adam to go name all the animals. He didn't tell him what to name them. He told Adam, you go name all the animals. So Adam goes out to name the animals. Adam must have been secure in his identity. And for some reason, the animals didn't know who they were. He had the responsibility to go tell the animals who they were. To give them identity. To give them names. A name is not a label. A name is an identity. God trusted his son Adam to give identity to the creatures that were in his world. You know, I believe that we as a corporate body give, I, help people find their identity in Christ. But we can't do that by what we do. We can only do that by knowing who we are and then doing what we do in the character of who we are. Uh, I tell worship people, I say, you know, God will never, you'll never grieve the Holy Spirit, you know, worship teams, you'll never grieve the Holy Spirit for um, singing the wrong song. You won't grieve the Holy Spirit for breaking a guitar string. You won't grieve the Holy Spirit for um, forgetting the words in a song. You won't grieve the Holy Spirit if you trip on the stage and fall. Uh, you won't grieve the Holy Spirit if you accidentally break wind. But if you get a bad attitude, you'll grieve him every time. See, we think God gets grieved if we do it wrong. <laughs> no, he gets grieved when we forget who we are. And getting offended is not true to the character of a child of God. <laughs> Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. What? Long-suffering? <laughs> Goodness, kindness, gentleness. You know, those, the, we're talking about fruit of the Spirit. You, they're not works that you do. They're fruit of the Spirit. They're fruit of who you are. And when you're not seeing that fruit, then it's not got anything to do with what you're doing. It's got to do with you not grabbing hold of your proper identity in what you do. I believe the will of God is you. And I believe there's probably 50 things right now in this church you could do that would be the will of God because you are the will of God. Now, sometimes God has specific things he wants you to do. But sometimes we make the thing we're going to do the will more than the who we are as the will. Jesus said, sacrifice and offerings you didn't want. You didn't delight in burnt offerings. You didn't want sacrifices. But a body you prepared. Behold. Hello. Hi. Here I am. So the body is an I am. I believe that the great I am wants a whole lot of little I am's to be a testimony of who he is. Not a testimony of what he does. So when we learn to be a corporate body, you are part of a body. You're not part of a of, of a doing, you're part of a being. Your doing is connected to your being. And your being is not connected to your, your doing. You get your identity from being. What you do gets an identity from you. It's always life-giving. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. If I can be me and it brings life, then... It's probably a good thing for me to do. If I, I'm wrestling with being me, I can't bring life, then I'm not, I'm not being true to who I really am. Who, when I discover who I am, I can do a lot of different things. But it's true to who I am. Now, some things we do are not fun. 
you know, they say, if I'm part of the, the, the prayer team, and I'm, oh man, I'm called to be an intercessor, and, and somebody vomits on the floor. And what is needed, the vomit needs to be cleaned up. It isn't something right now, it's not the, the intercession that's needed at the moment is not, dear Jesus, it's, <laughs> I need to get a bucket and a mop because that's what love does. I remember my grandson was spending the night one night and we were sleeping on an air mattress in, in the living room and in the middle of the night he got sick. And so I got up uh, and cleaned him up and, and kind of changed the blankets around a little bit and, and he got sick again, okay? So I, I got up. Now there's no more space for me on the, on the air mattress. The blankets have been moved. And I got a bucket here and, and now I'm in the couch and I'm kind of scrunched and this went on through the night. And the next morning he wakes up and, and he, says, he says, oh, go up, I, I'm not feeling good. It's a good thing I didn't get sick, huh? And I said, yeah, yeah, it's a good thing. You're, doing, you're going to be okay, bud. So, but you see, that's what love does. Okay. You know, am I called? Oh, yes, I'm the great uh, you know, vomit cleaner. That, that's what I'm called to do. <laughs> Some guys say I don't change diapers because God says he changes not. No, no but uh, I do change diapers. I change diapers on babies. In a family, you do whatever is needed in the family. And sometimes, maybe not the exact right person is there to do that, but it, if I know who I am, I can even cross boundaries in doings that don't change who I am as a being. I can do things, you know, I can do things. You know, as a pastor, I can, I can do pastoral stuff, which sometimes includes cleaning toilets. It, it shouldn't really be that way, but sometimes that's what happens. Sometimes you're understaffed. Sometimes life is, you need help, but there isn't any help. So the same is true for you in your seven-day-week, 24-hour-a-day world, isn't it? So when we know who we are, and it's not attached to what we do, we can go through tough situations and still have a good attitude and bring life. Um, just a couple more stories here. This, this is a great one. This is a, in Luke, there's an account where Jesus is going down the road. He's on a journey on the road and someone comes and says to him. Now, I believe that Jesus, in this story, is a new covenant human being. He's in relationship with God intimately. He, he, wasn't, he was born under the law, but he lived in connection to his father's voice and what his father was doing. So he's a new covenant guy, but this old covenant thinking man comes to him. And he says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head, to lay his head. Now, I don't think Jesus was talking about, if you commit to me, there's no guarantee where you're going to sleep tonight. Okay? I know a little bit about foxes, and they're not looking for places to sleep. They go, and they look and they find a spot that could be a hole. And they dig a hole. And they, they build a house. They get a lady fox. And Mr. and Mrs. Fox have baby foxes. And they live out of a hole in the ground, the environment of a fox. And they do fox things and affect the world with fox life. You know? The bird comes into town and says, Oh, I wonder if they built any bird condominiums. In, in this area for birds. Oh, oh, did they build any housing complexes for birds? Oh, the bird comes in, oh, oh, finds a stick, picks it up, oh, grabs another stick, puts it together, puts it in a tree. Pretty soon he's got a nest. Mr. Bird gets Lady Bird. They get in a family way. Eggs are laid, birds are hatched, and bird stuff happens everywhere. They're not looking for a place to sleep. Looking for a place to live. So the man is asking a question that's illegitimate until he knows who he is. I'll follow you anywhere. Jesus doesn't need you to follow him. He needs you to know who you are before you follow him. And who are you? He said, you know, I've been looking for a place to put my head. I've been looking for a temple. I've been looking for a body to put my head on. Are you it? 
I'm not interested in a place to sleep. Psalms 84 says it's like the nest. It's, it's the altar of God where God lives. He lives in us as the body of Christ. So he's looking for a place to put his headship, his lordship, his headship on my life. Now, when his headship is on my life, now I'm going to be able to follow him. But the first thing is, in him I live. Knowing who you are will empower you to follow Jesus. Knowing who you are will empower you to be an effective member of the family of God. Who are you? You're a place that God lives. You're a place that Jesus rests. You're a place that the headship of Jesus is on. He loves you. He lives in you. Like the fox was looking for a hole so he could be a fox and do fox stuff. The bird was looking for some sticks, get a nest and do bird stuff. God was looking for a place that he could rest in the earth, a habitation where he could do God stuff, Amen. where he could bring life to the world. <laughs> so then in the story, Jesus then says after this, he said, follow me to another guy. And this guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, now, listen, you come to me. Don't you ever dare go to another funeral as long as you live. <laughs> Jesus wasn't saying that. He was simply saying, when you know who you are, you live for the kingdom of God, not for your old self. It's not a matter of fixing this or burying that. He wasn't talking about funerals. <laughs> he was talking about when you know who you are, following me is being an expression of me. The kingdom of God is your focus. So when I know who, he, who I am, I realize that every part that I'm doing, whether I'm ushering or praying or serving in music or serving in food ministry to the community or whatever God leads you to, to do as a family, I'm a, lot, I'm a place that God lives and what we're doing is God's kingdom business. It isn't for me. It's for his glory. It's not so that I bury the dead. It's so that his kingdom expands. I'm an expression of him. And then he goes, another, he said, Lord, I'll follow you. But let me first go and bid farewell to all who are in my house. And Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, when you live for the kingdom of God, then you realize it's in every aspect of your life. Seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Um, when I see a, a worship leader, whatever a, a worship person does on the stage, I want to see them do that in their everyday life. Whatever you do in a church community, I want to see you doing that seven days a week in every aspect of your life. Uh, when we know who we are, we become an expression of who he is and who we are. Um, just simply a couple of other things in Romans. I, it describes our motivation. Where Paul says to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It's our reasonable service. Some translations say it's our spiritual worship. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't think like you used to think. Don't think, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? But be transformed in the renewing of your mind. What can I give? What can I give? How can I give? How can I give life? That's what he's talking about. And then in these verses, farther down, he says, there's a grace that's given to me. Every one of you is among you. You're not to think of himself as more highly than you ought to think. Now, what would that mean? You see, you, you make a great you and a terrible somebody else. It doesn't mean that somebody's more important than you. It means when you don't realize how important you are, you think outside of the boundaries of who you are, which is to think of yourself more highly than you ought. You're bringing yourself out of the place of who you really are. Just, but think soberly. God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There's many members, but one body. Not all the members have the same function. We being many, we're one body in Christ. We're individually members of one another. And then he goes, talks about differing gifts according to the grace that is given to us. Uh, 
there's a, there's a faith that comes to us. It talks about perceiving and serving and teaching. These are all motivational things. But if you ever read Romans 12, when you get past these giftings, that's all about chapter 12, the first what, seven verses there, is all about who you are. And then the rest of the verses, I've counted them out. I call it 26 doings of, of Christian beings. There's 26 doings after you know who you are. One is love without hypocrisy. That's a doing. But you can only do that when you know who you are. <laughs> There's 26 things it tells you to do. But those 26 things aren't reserved. I used to think, you know, the mercy people, those are the ones that show mercy. And the perceivers, though, they just kill things. The prophecy people, they, they kill things. And, the mer and then the, the mercy people, they show mercy. But the chapter says everybody loves. But men, uh, mercy people love different than perceiving people. So, but we all love. Now, I'm not merciful by my nature, by my gifting. I'm merciful by my crushing. <laughs> okay, so I, my wife has, a, has a, a gift, a motivational gift of mercy. I have a motivational gift of perceiving, administration, and serving. That's my motivation. Okay? My wife is mercy, exhortation, and giving. So she filters things different than me. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse to not be merciful. <laughs> it means I have to now learn to be merciful because it's not my natural motivation. So I have to learn to be merciful. I don't get an excuse. She shows the mercy. I don't. It's we all get to work together and we help one another out. First um, Corinthians 12. This is your ministration or your ministry. It just simply talks about all the members of the body. And if you go through that, it, it, uh, it describes in, in verse 15, scroll to the next page. It just I'll just pop out a few things. Go to the next scripture. Verse 15. You got a foot. You see in the yellow, you got a foot, you got a hand, you got an ear, you got an eye. Obviously, you must have a nose because they're smelling. Uh, and so there's a few parts. Uh, you can't even make a... Do you understand what the toy Mr. Potato Head is? Yeah, um, um, toy Story. Toy Story. Toy Story. Remember Toy Story, Mr. Potato Head? You can't even get a Mr. Potato Head out of the parts that are mentioned in this chapter. Why? Paul assumes you know there are thousands and thousands of parts in your body. So he's giving you an example of some. Because you're smart enough to know you got too many to list. But he's simply saying all of these parts work together to be what? A body. We don't say, whoa, my goodness. Did you, I went to that church. Did you see the nose? Oh, my goodness. What a nose they have there. Man, I tell you, I've been looking for the foot church. Oh, man, I love that foot. That foot, oh. You know, I don't cut parts of my body off and say, man, you are so special. And I got stuff inside of me that you don't even see, and they never get any attention. My heart is a good ticker, man. You never see it. <laughs> and Paul addresses some of that in the unpresentable parts in the next verses. And then if, if you go down to 1 Corinthians 12, 27, there's a manifestation. Now, go to the next scroll. This one. These now are not body parts. I believe these are body administrations. So, example, I have a, a heart, but it's actually part of the circulatory system. I have lungs but they're actually part of a respiratory system. So there's a whole lot of other parts involved in the respiratory system. I have a, an elbow, but it, the inner structure of it is part of the skeletal system. If I, um, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, well, I'll use a real illustration. This finger, if you could see it next to this finger, this finger has a bigger fingernail this finger is straight, this finger is crooked. Now, why? Because I grew up on a farm, and I got this finger in a hay baler chute, and I cut it off. So they had to put it back on. 
Okay? Now, when I cut this thing off in the hay chute, there was intercessors that went to work in my body. They're like a ministry of tongues. They started going, Whoa! <laughs> They sent signals to my head that said, look. Now, there was no magic that went through the air that said, oh, you need to pay attention to the finger now. The finger didn't tell me anything. The connected parts, the nervous system, the prayer system went into work, and it sent a signal to the head. Then I looked, and then headship, which is another part of this structure, you know, apostles, I don't even think these are Mr. Potato Head. This, this is just an example of an idea of what they look like, okay? So my headship giftings, those abilities, looked and said, oh, is a Band-Aid enough? No, Band-Aid's not enough. <laughs> and, oh, we, we need to put that finger back on. So it involved now giving some instructions to these fingers, pick up fingertip, put fingertip on finger, okay? Then, <laughs> oh, oh. Hold tightly. <laughs> and so I had to, and then I had to get some help. I got my brother drive to doctor. <laughs> it took me three cities before I found somebody who was in. <laughs> they didn't stitch it, they taped it on. But I play guitar, so I worked it hard because I needed it for the guitar. See, the body worked together, the parts worked together. <laughs> and you know what? It ends up better than the other one. <laughs> So there's different systems that work together, but it's important we work together. Let me give you an illustration of what the church looks like sometimes. Headship says, hmm, point at that electrical box on the wall over there. That's what we, we need to focus on, that electrical box over there. So it says, point, the headship is thinking, point. Thinking point, okay? And, and the signal now, there's no signal that goes from the head to the finger, Directly. The finger doesn't hear it from the head. The finger hears it through a whole lot of connection. Now, let's say I have an insecure elbow. The elbow doesn't know that it's, a, it's, it's, its identity is it's really good at bending. <laughs> it's just really good at, at bending. It, it's, it's good at helping the arm, especially the arm beyond the lower arm. And, and it even helps the, the wrist dance and the fingers work, you know. But if my elbow is insecure, doesn't like being an elbow, and the head says point, and it goes. It goes like this. And, and, and so we have a, a slang word called a spastic, <laughs> where, the, where, the, where somebody just <laughs> goes through spasms. You know, I think the church looks like that a lot. Because we're trying to point at that, but the elbow wants to be the finger instead of helping the finger do that. Okay? So the, the more we know who we are, we help one another be who each other are. And so then we can, oh, look, right? We pointed. But my goodness, how many, if my parts were people, how many people were involved in that action? If my nervous system my muscular system, my skeletal system. Man, they were a lot, if they were people, metaphorically. If all of those members were people, man, a lot of members it took to accomplish that task right there. And if the members weren't in their proper place, we could have pointed there or there or there. <laughs> but the members were in their right place learning to work together. It accomplished exactly what the father wanted to do because the real head is Jesus, isn't he? So, so who you are gives identity to your world. Connect to who, not a what. Connect to God, not a what he wants you to do. Connect to a who, connect to being part of the body, not what you can do in the body. Connect to a who, not to a what. Connect to a who, that empowers you to do, to be who you are. So last little illustration, remember the picture. Who God sees you to be determines who you are. Those blossoms all look the same on that tree. But because they're joined in the branch and they're connected to one root, they're able to produce the unique fruit that they are. And that's us. We all make a wonderful us. So I just wanted to encourage you to find your corporate identity. Understand your individual identity helps you be in your corporate identity. If you get anything out of this, 
Being is more important than doing, but when you find who you are, you will do. Okay. And by the way, it's easier to tame a wild horse than it is to pump up a dead horse. So if you don't do everything right the first time, don't kill the horse. <laughs> Just practice discovering who you are individually and who you are together. But remember, who you are and who you are together always brings life to your world, brings the life of Christ to your world, the love of God. Okay?